The My Colorful Nana Project is a collected group of generous thinkers. It is an invitation for all to expand upon and celebrate their definitions of the words beauty and blackness. My name is Lauren Stockman Brown, and I am the founder of the My Colorful Nana Project. And thanks for listening. What is beauty? What is femininity? What is blackness? Is black hair beautiful? Does it matter? I don't know. You tell me. Uh, Okay, so my name's Camille Lubianco. I'm 21 years old. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm studying communications, and I am a white Hispanic woman, and I use she, her pronouns, and I identify as a female. Can you tell me in brief why you're a little nervous, why you're a little scared to speak on a topic such as black hair and blackness in general? Uh, Well, I'm not a black woman. I don't experience um, all the experiences that come with black hair. Like It was something that, honestly, I had never really considered until your project. So it kind of put that question and that topic in my mind as more than just something that I consider like a second thought. Like I don't even think about my hair in the mornings, but it's something that surrounds people and is really changes people's lives and is a point of like solidarity and all of these things that I, I didn't really know before. So think about experiences outside of your own and how those can help people or be detrimental to people just so that we're more conscious and aware. So you mentioned the Bike Hall Fanana Project event last February 6, 2019. Yes. Can you tell us? Yeah, I remember. Oh, let's go. Oh, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about your experience walking into that event, what you thought it would be like, what it actually was like, what you learned? And then we're going to get into the essay that you, you wrote about it. So, Cool. Uh, walking into the event, I must say, what really hit home for me and like what I took away from it was the panel at the end. Uh, I, I really liked that you had diversity on your panel. I might not necessarily feel this way, but I think for a lot of people, like walking into a space where you are going to be the minority is really scary. And being the majority, that's not you ex- something you experience most of your life. Um, So even if it's like an open and safe space like the My Colorful Nana Project, never underestimate anyone's experience. And like that can mean so many things, but you don't know what people are dealing with. That's how things progress. Why do you have a white person on this podcast that is primarily about black woman, black hair? This is the focus. In my opinion, I think that it's really important to get to a point in our society, or I want to get to a point individually, where we can have conversations centered and focused around blackness in a nuanced and dynamic way, whether it's with a white person, a black person, or whatever. I think that there's a lot of factors that have to come together to have productive conversations. Like, I was kind of hinting at it before, but for a lot of people that you are trying to engage, because... Obviously, you can talk about blackness within the black community, but blackness is more than just inside the black community because social life, legislative life, professional life, like all these things come into play. And we're talking about this on like a global, diverse scale. Like you can't really understand something 
within only one group of people. And I think that that's the same looping problem that we're dealing with is that we need to be more open to having uncomfortable conversations productively to be able to get to a point where we all feel more safe and included. So in the introduction of your essay, you cite the My Colorful Nana Project as your main point of reference for writing this essay. You then tackled and attempted to understand concepts like appropriation, fetization, microaggressions, and respectability politics. I would now like to emphasize the importance of seeing black women not only as a collective group or one community to analyze, but rather separate individuals who each deal with their own struggles, insecurities, and strengths differently. So you talked about how how can I maybe improve this project? And I think this is going to be a really lovely thing to talk about now. I wrote this thing on black hair, but who am I to be one to talk about black hair? I don't live that experience. It's it's really hard. I, I grappled with it a lot, but I do think that diversity and experience is pivotal because you're never going to find out if you're only within a group that's exactly like you. Uh, I started my essay with a little bit of a disclaimer. Upon the announcement of this project, I cannot deny that I was nervous though I realized that no stride towards progress or change can be enacted without a level of tension, a push against a dominant ideology, and an open mentality to hear difference. This realization has also led me to the conclusion that I can never truly understand certain experiences, especially many under the umbrella of black feminism. And so I first struggled to come up with a method to explore and accurately convey the depth of black feminist issues while simultaneously processing them through my personal perspective of white privilege. For the people who say, you know, in, for, in regards to this podcast, you know, that was just a bunch of liberal nonsense that you're spitting out. <laughs> how, how, well, is there a way to combat that? Do you have a response to that? or Even if that's not personally my experience. I wanted to make the experience of the women that I interviewed at the forefront of the project the main staple of the project. That gets into how can we view the Black community not only as a group of individuals, well, a group of individuals, but also individual individuals who have their separate struggles, strengths, ways of dealing with those struggles and strengths. How can we make that clear in our writing and this podcast, in our conversation, right? So at what point can Black people be the individual and not representative of everyone and everything? I agree with you, even though that was the point from the beginning, I wish I didn't have to use like initials. I wish I had expanded more into the context of what the individuals were saying, because a lot of times it's just like you drop a quotation and it's it can be read in the way that the context of the paragraph is allowing it to be read. But that poses the risk of isolating it from its original point, from that original experience. Maybe in like trying to weave those two pieces together in that integration, I, I lost some of the like experiences the struggles the celebration like all of the things that lead to those quotes they weren't really given the space in the essay and so if we were to point at something that could change for the better it would be that like there needs to be more of a bridge and there needs to be more room for individuals that I interviewed but their experiences need to have more room in academia and I mean I think that's a problem in general is that 
academic writing doesn't leave space for personal experience. The idea of the project was to kind of track the origin of words that we don't really think about and how they have changed over time, how they have changed in meaning, grabbed new associated meanings that weren't there before like another good example would be i've seen intersectionality described in like marketing so as an example race gender sexuality this is intersectionality so let's say a black queer woman that is yes (laughs) that's dealing with three different identities it's an intersectionality of race gender and sexuality exactly i think that some of the individuality that could have been easily like stated in the essay I like just decided to not put it in or I felt like there was not room for it and and that's definitely where it struggled or like that's where it was stripped away. So I have a quick question for you because we keep talking about femininity and that's one of my favorite topics right? Yes. Um, (laughs) In a lot of research or classes I've taken there's this idea of white femininity versus black femininity and how they're viewed as differently or how black femininity works to achieve white femininity to Mm. then gain, you know, to then be socially mobile and so on and so forth. Mm. How do you see that playing out in your life, playing out in society? And what do you take from that? Femininity should be a term for all women, regardless of your race. But it's like grounded in slave relations, really, that like black women were seen as as bodies and objects before being seen as women. And there, there's all these like complex things like to tie it back to the essay, talking about respectability politics in 1900 from the um, women's collective, from the WC, like it one created a space for black women to talk about negative stereotypes, to talk about themselves. It created solidarity, but also it is the women's collective. So for them to have a place there, you still have to adhere to what is the dominant and at that time especially racist white ideology like what is your perception of being feminine that's where a lot of these things stem from to be included and to have a voice for black women to have had that voice in that collective there was a certain amount of filtering that they had to do to be acceptable within this ideal so we talked about how black women are often subjected to represent the entirety of a group in an effort to be socially mobile in terms of political, social, and economic advancements and also to conform to white beauty standards for safety. You had to abide by the politics of respectability. And that's not really celebrating true femininity because it's femininity within a certain light, within a certain perspective, within a white feminist perspective. I still think that that applies. Like in your project, the reasons why certain hairstyles are accepted and certain hairstyles are not. Because one like more closely resembles white hairstyles and white texture so that it's passable. But that's not, why should that have anything to do with like femininity does that make you any less of a woman no but society tells you it does or your job will tell you it does or in the 1900s the woman collective would tell you it does I know that it's really easy to just stay within your bubble for a lot of people that means living way more comfortably as a white woman I think that we should take some responsibility for learning about things beyond like black women just having to educate you should care because the world doesn't look just like you 
This is a passage from Nalawi M. Rooks, Beauty, Race, and Black Pride. She discusses systematic gendered racism from an African-American woman's journal. During the 1950s, an African-American woman named Charlotte Fortin Grimike wrote the following passage in her journal. I have been undergoing a thorough self-examination. The result is a mingled feeling of sorrow, shame, and self-content have realized more deeply and bitterly than ever in my life my own ignorance and folly. Not only am I without the gifts of nature, wit, beauty, and talent, but I am not even intelligent. Hat of Purvis is, however, quite attractive with such long, light hair and beautiful blue eyes. She is a sweet, gentle creature. I have fallen quite in love with her. Grimike was free during a time when most African Americans were held as slaves. She was educated in languages and fine literature when it was uncommon for African Americans and women to be able to make such claims. And she enjoyed considerable social standing in her hometown of Philadelphia. In addition, others who came into contact with her had only the highest praise for her beauty, refinement, and intellect. I think that it is crucial to truly question the severity of this issue and how historical it is, how rooted it is, how rooted the concept of self-hatred is, how far it goes back. When there was no social media, when there were no pictures necessarily to refer to, why did this woman, why did Charlotte Froten Grimike believe that she was without the gifts of nature, without wit, beauty, and talent? I think it is crucial to understand how this desire to have long hair, and beautiful colored eyes and sweet gentle creature where does that come from and why i think camille just helped us get a taste of the impact that standardized forms of beauty can have so even in modern day 100 plus years later so thank you so much and i'm still like i'm still nervous but it has been so fun uh to to talk about these things with you. <laughs> yeah. This is awesome. But yeah, I'm I'm I have been really honored to be included in this. So thank you so much for having of me. Of course, thank you so much for being here. We're with Camille Lobianco. Um, I'm really grateful for you being here. Uh, thank you. And talking about all of these lovely topics. Um, I'm really excited to share this with you all. So thank you so much for thinking generously. Thank you for tuning in to the My Colorful Nana Project. My name is Lauren Stockman-Brown, and I hope to see you next week.